Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Brianne West, environmentalist, social entrepreneur, and founder of New Zealand's very own Ethique. Ethique is the world's most sustainable beauty brand, now sold in over 20 countries in more than 4,000 stores. Since founding the business while studying towards a science degree in 2012, Brianne and her team have led Ethique to create and promote its range of solid shampoo, conditioners, moisturisers, household cleaners and cosmetics throughout the world, giving consumers an alternative to the usual plastic bottles they would otherwise have bought. They're on track to prevent a whopping 50 million bottles from going to landfill by 2025. Brianne's created a genuinely purpose-driven business that is New Zealand's highest-scoring B Corp, is living wage accredited, works with cooperatives around the world to source their ingredients, and donates a massive 20% of profit to charity every single year. With so much happening, I'm absolutely delighted that you took some time to join us here on the Insider Podcast, so thank you and welcome, Brianne. Thank you for having me. What what an incredible business, and in in nine years. So I'd just love to hear, um, I suppose, the the story of Ethique, and particularly thinking about um, the marketing side of the business. How did you how did you decide on the brand Ethique for starters? Well, that was actually kind of a funny story. Um, the company started was born as uh, Sorbet, and the idea behind that name was I was a university student, as you mentioned, um, and I didn't really know too much about the idea of how to build a brand, but. I wanted a name that sounded delicious and something that people would, you know, you, you sort of, you, you're eating, you, 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 you purchase things that you can imagine, I guess, a luxurious feeling. It's hard mm. to explain. And mm. that's what I wanted to elicit with the name of the brand. Um, so Sorbet started for two and a half years and we went out and did our first crowdfunding raise, um, equity crowdfunding. So we bought on uh, 152 shareholders, which wow. is pretty cool, raised $200,000. And we did it all just by telling the story of what it is we wanted to achieve because we didn't have too many rounds on the board back then. Mm-hmm. But a week after that, um, we had just filed for trademarks for Sorbet in Australia and America. And we had raised all this money based off the idea that we were going to export uh, to Australia and America. And it turned out we certainly couldn't get the trademark for Sorbet across offshore. Oh, God. So we changed the name in a week to Atique, which means ethical in French. And really, I think it suits us far better anyway. But um, yeah, it's certainly no grand story about how we searched the world for a beautiful <laughs> word. It really was, oh, God, what are we going to do? And it's Atique. It is. It is, yeah. Awesome. Age. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay, so look, tell tell me the story. How did you how did you start off, and how did you go from you know working out that this, this might be a business to getting to where you are today? Um, a lot of clever people, much cleverer than I am, but um, really it began uh, as a solution to a massive problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 80 billion plastic bottles are used around the world every year just for shampoo and conditioner. That is a massive number, and it's completely unnecessary when you consider that most of the stuff inside that bottle is water, which is also the same thing you happen to have in your bathroom tap. Yes, you do. So really, that is the that's the the whole idea behind it is let's just sell people the active ingredients and mm. they can use it themselves. Mm-hmm. It also lowers the carbon footprint by making the product uh, per use, you know, less weight. Yeah. And so on and so forth. So it really did come from a purposely position. 
Um, and that is the number one reason that uh, we have grown as fast as we have is because people resonate with that purpose. They're mm. not, you know, selling a product, it's perfectly doable. People do it day in, day out and very successfully. But if you are selling a reason or a purpose, it is so much easier because you've got more to talk about and you've got empathy and emotions that people latch onto. You know, people want to feel good when they buy your product. And that is how we've had so much to talk about and how and why we've had so much press and PR over the years is because we've actually got a genuine reason for being that's beyond just selling you a product. And do you, are, you, are you a marketer by trade um, or, or did it just come naturally? No, um, and I don't even know if it comes naturally, to be honest. I'm, I, I consider sales and marketing having a conversation with a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just finding out I mean, I did have a sales role as a kid once, I think, with with a phone company, um, and I, I was always told that it's just finding out what someone's problem is and providing them with a solution. And that's absolutely the truth. You're you're just finding, except with our, with our case, it's, it's also solving a problem for the environment at the same time. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm a scientist technically, so I formulate the products. Um, I certainly don't have any background in marketing, but I've always considered that if you're just honest and transparent and genuine and you're genuinely interested in who it is you're talking to, so if it's on social media, you know, you're understanding things from the customer's point of view or the who's going to read it mm-hmm. rather than rather than trying to say what you want them to hear or know about you, try and think about it from their perspective. And I think that makes a really significant difference in your communications. And is that is that something you've um, have you have you maintained your own um, involvement in the marketing aspect of the brand over the years, or is it something you've you've delegated? I certainly have a great marketing team now, um, and I have a CMO based in New York, um, and a few a few marketing um, members based over there as well. But I certainly have oversight, and I am I like to call myself keeper of the brand, as it were. The brand is based on my personality in large part, so it's it's my sort of bubbly personality but my no bullshit approach like mm-hmm, we don't mm-hmm. use fear mongering and, and a lot of the, the rubbish science that so many brands use to market their products um, try and be honest and upfront and transparent about things and people again really resonate with that and really appreciate that and that comes from my obsession with making sure people know the reasons why we do something so yeah I definitely still have oversight but I don't obviously do the work anymore so, so can you talk a little bit about the, I suppose, the transition from you know startup with you as a scientist and an idea to uh, you know a team of marketers based in New York and around the world doing work for you? How how did that transition happen? Well, I mean, it took seven years, um, and it feels like it took seven days to be honest. When I look back, <laughs> at it, I guess, but it, it, um, for the majority of that time. Um, my team was based in New Zealand. It was really a couple of couple of um, ladies based in Christchurch with me, and mm. we worked incredibly closely together. Um, I handed off operations very quickly because it's not my area of expertise, and therefore I'm just not very good at it because I'm not interested in it particularly. Um, so I have a wonderful COO who handles that side of the thing, that side of things, and I handle product, branding, marketing. Right. Um, so it was it was me um, and two two of my wonderful team members who really built the brand and the, and the um, the conversations we were having and how we would talk and our personality and all that, we didn't um, we didn't do it all, of course. Um, so we did outsource quite a lot. So we've we've had um, performance marketing agencies in the past. Um, we still have one now. Um, we have had marketing agencies in the past who dealt with all our social, and they were fabulous because sometimes outsourcing is a really good solution if you simply cannot hire enough people for whatever reason. Um, so. It, 
we've made lots of, of um, great decisions and lots of bad decisions and we've learned from each one. But at the end of the day, I think this, the theory is we try and be us and we try and be honest and, and genuine and transparent in all of our communications. And I think that's what makes a difference. And what, so, so when it comes to outsourcing, what, what have you found over the years is best to have in-house and what, what's best to get elsewhere? Anything brand. So anything that comes, and that really is, that sounds like it would be everything, right? But that is a lot of things. Te- yeah, technical stuff can be outsourced. So we, our, our performance marketing agency do a fabulous job of, of building audiences and ad sets and all of the things that, to be honest, I'm rapidly getting out of my depth and talking about. But we want to talk, we want to create all the creative. We want to talk about, uh, we want to write the captions and create the, the pretty visual stuff. That sort of thing is what I mean when I say brand, because mm-hmm. that way, no one is going to do a better job than the people on your team who are in it day in, day out. That's the stuff I think is important. You can outsource it for sure, but in my experience, it's never worked quite as well as when we've done it. Okay, so so look, it seems like you've you know you've worked out what works for Etik um, over the years. So what what would be your top tips when it comes to sales and or marketing? What would be your top tips? Have a purpose. I, I go on about this all the time in every speaking event I've ever done, but really. It doesn't have to be some grandiose purpose, you know, ridding the world of plastic bottles probably sounds a little bit ridiculous for a company that was started in a kitchen. Um, but having something people can rally behind and get excited about, mm. that's really important. Whether it's, there's plenty of examples of social enterprises around the world um, and, and now bigger organizations are embracing these this idea of purpose as well. And it really does make a difference because it gives you more to talk about and gives the customer more to latch onto and, and develop loyalty for. Um, and then it's to have a consistent brand voice, I suppose. Um, there's lots of companies, particularly the smaller ones, when they're sort of finding their feet out there who try this and then try that and they try this and, and, and the next thing. But they never stick with anything long enough to see if it actually works for them. Mm. So really, I'm, I'm not I'm not massively for spending tens of thousands of dollars on consultants and, and stuff, but it is useful to get a bit of brand architecture, figure out what it is that you stand for and what your personality will be online when you talk to people, um, everything from uh, how, how it is your respond to comments, for example, are you going to take a, a more authoritarian re- approach, are you going to be fun and friendly, that all helps build consistency of message and then that really builds your brand personality. Mm-hmm. And is it is it something that um, when it comes to when it comes to sales, have you found that's that's something that has has come easily with it being purpose led, or has that been something that you know you've you've really had to develop separately? Um, probably separately. So it's never been my favourite sort of area of. But in saying that, again, it's really just having a conversation, solving someone's problem. It's the same thing. I don't see them as two massively disparate subjects, I suppose. Because there's often a, a perception, you know, of sales as a bit of a dirty thing. Um, so it's, in, uh, yes. it's interesting to see a purpose-driven business that's grown massively. Into you know, I mean, being in four thousand retailers, that's that's pretty pretty incredible in in that number of years. Yeah, I mean, sales is it, yeah, it does have a have a negative connotation for sure, and it's it's a shame. Um, but there are people who sell through more uh, underhand tactics, but I don't think that's the majority of people. At the end of the day, if you have a product that people want selling, it's again having a conversation and explaining to them what it is and why. It's not convincing people that they need it. It's just, you know, this does this and this does that. Which one works best for you? And if it's neither, well, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would never be a, a you know, I'm never going to be a, a selling, a, a selling superstar. It's not in not in my DNA. But I do have some wonderful reps out there who do a fabulous job. 
And what, what are the sales achievements, you know, in, in the last nine years that you look back on and are proudest of? Probably our biggest, getting into our biggest retailer, and that um, in terms of number of stores, and that would be Holland and Bear in the UK. And um, I don't even know if it's an achievement we can be particularly proud of, to be perfectly honest, um, because they came to us. Um, they said, we want to range you through all our stores. We want this many... Um, this many SKUs and yeah so we went we shot over to the UK had a chat with them met with them did the deal in about 15 minutes spent the rest wow. of the meeting just chatting about random stuff and it was done so it wasn't you know we didn't really feel like we deserved that one per se but again the reason that was so easy was because we ticked all of those reta- that retailers box for things they needed because they needed to start saying to their customers they had sustainable options so if you are going back to that purpose idea, if you are following consumer trends, you become very helpful mm. to retailers mm. because they you can help them fill a niche that perhaps they themselves have not been able to thus far. And that was why we are in so many retailers as well. And had you had you actively um, targeted Holland and Barrett or other retailers before? No. No. Um, in fact, I don't think we have ever, apart from the, in the last year or so, I don't think we have ever talked about... Um, or talk directly to or hard hard sold to retailers, It's it has been very much a case of them coming to us because, again, because of all the press we've had. And has, has generating press been a deliberate um, tactic or just a, a byproduct of having a purpose? Um, it was started off as a byproduct and it continued as a purposeful practice because that is what has always engendered the most sales, the most interest and continuing ongoing loyalty for us. Wow. And, wow. and also re- uh, retailers, reporters love an organisation that does have more to it. Mm-hmm. So there are so many facets to talk about. Yes, yeah, got you, got you. And and what about the international teams? So how comes you have a marketing team based in New York? Um, how come? Good question. Probably wouldn't have ever imagined that in the first place. And it wasn't set out that way. It's just that was where the person we wanted to, we really wanted, and who really fit the brand and the values that was where she lived. Um, so last year we completed a large investment round and with that became access to networks of execs based around the world. Right. Um, and so we talked to a lot of people and, and wanted to find out who would fit us, um, who would work well in helping to build us brand, build the brand. But we also wanted outside perspectives. At the end of the day, we're a global organisation. So how do we talk best to Americans? How do we talk best to people people from the UK? How do we, you know, how do we make sure we break out of this sort of Kiwi niche within reason? Um, and having offices based around the world not only enables to do that, but also lowers the amount of travel that we've had to do. Mm-hmm. So um, my COO and I have travelled probably two to three weeks out of four for the last two, maybe three years. And that, you know, it's been very effective, but it's also exhausting and it wreaks havoc on people's lives. And it's it's not it's not hugely in keeping with environmentally friendly companies. So right. having these offices based offshore, that's lowered the need for that. And also obviously <laughs> helped with COVID. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so why were you travelling so much? Were, were, were these sales-related meetings? So, uh, a little bit of sales and a lot of PR. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of talking to reporters and doing events and those sorts of things that beauty companies do a lot of, lots of interviews and podcasts like this one and, and those sorts of things. But it was also meeting distributors, meeting partners. Um, I appreciate that a lot of people think Zoom does a good a job. I personally don't. Um it certainly has advantages, but if you're trying to build a long-lasting partnership with someone, I do believe that having a couple of face-to-face meetings and really building that rapport is really important. Right, right. And and the partners, the partners that you've worked with over the years, how what have you learned about choosing the right partners? 
that sometimes it's harder than you think. <laughs> <laughs> we've got some wonderful partners and we've had some that were not as perfect in terms of fit. And uh, to be honest, I kind of think a lot of it comes down to trial and error. You can work with someone that you think is just the bee's knees and then it turns out they have, they're different to what they put themselves forward as. Um, so for so for listeners hard. listeners of ours who are you know potentially looking at finding you know partners in the marketing space, what would be some of your tips to them? Um, definitely, if you can talk to people um, who have worked with them, uh, and even better if you can talk to people who have worked with them but no longer do and ask why. I mean, it could be a perfectly good reason that they've bought it in house or whatever, or they found they no longer need them, whatever it was. Um, but at the end of the day, until you really push the button and do it with, you know, and work with someone, you never really know what they're going to be like. So, I mean, ask lots of questions, have a couple of meetings with them, but go on a trial period. I am, I'm talking specifically, say, about um, a performance marketing agency, so a paid media, but um, put a three-month trial in place, um, put some KPIs, you know, some reasonable KPIs, you're not asking for the, for the world, mm-hmm. and then see how you get on. And I'm not saying if they don't achieve them within that three months that you should get rid of them, but look at were that were things improving? Were you working together well? Um, were you heading in the right direction, or was it just a complete disaster? Okay. And I guess my other point is um, <laughs> reputations in the marketplace are not always representative of how uh, they will perform for you. I have worked with some of the supposed best marketing organisations on planet Earth. <laughs> and um, they didn't work for us at all. So um, I would just bear some of those reputations. You know, use a pinch of salt when you think about it. And what about internal staff? So, um, you know, when hiring marketing or salespeople, what have you learned over the years? Um, how, how, to, how, how to identify the ones that are going to work out and the ones that aren't? Ah, uh, well, when you figure that out, let me know. Um, <laughs> No, in fairness, we, we hire for attitude and passion to a degree, um, apart from the, partic- the roles where you need a particular skill set, for mm-hmm. sure. But um, we became hire for passion, particularly in marketing roles, because, again, it's just communication with people. And if they're passionate about what they're communi- communicating about, they'll learn, they will be inclined, they will work for to ensure that people understand what they're trying to, trying to say. Um, and that is a better way than looking for qualifications and stuff. I've, I've got a team of both qualified and unqualified marketers. And at the end of the day, we hired them for the same reason, which is the passion. Um, to a degree, organization is very important in marketing. Um, you know, creative, um, creative is great, but you also do need people who understand the idea of planning and promotions and those sorts of things. It can be very organization heavy. Um, but yeah, hire for passion because the rest can arguably be taught. And is the same, is the, same um, the case for sales? Yes. Again, uh, it's a different company. Um, so hard sales is not something we need to do. Maybe it will be in the future, I don't know. But And then I would probably have to look at different people. But I've, again, I've got people who love having a conversation with people and are passionate about the product, and that comes across. And that's all they need. As long as you can explain to retailers, for example, that um, how you will support them and uh, that they will have a, an easy process if something goes wrong or, or whatever, then really it's not a hard sales job to do. 
Fantastic, fantastic. So over the years, you know, your business has changed and so I'm sure the nature of the conversations your teams are having has changed. So what what, what do big companies know that small businesses don't or vice versa when it comes to growing sales? (laughs) Well, there's a reason big companies buy a lot of small companies. I think that's worth bearing in mind. (laughs) Look, again, this is speaking in general terms and it certainly isn't true of everything. But in my experience, a lot of the smaller companies that get snapped up are phenomenal at building brands and that does seem to be where larger companies fall down and that's because it is much harder to build a brand story when you're a massive CPG company that operates in you know 140 countries How, you don't really have a founding story do you you don't really have a founding purpose it's much harder to build a real brand story into that so you know uh, companies, smaller brands that started in the kitchen or, or wherever, that is always something that people can empathise with that little bit more. It is just something that people latch onto, and I, I don't think you should underestimate um, putting people in front of a brand. You know, so so be personal. Um, people don't buy from a faceless organisation; they buy from people. And that often is that often is one of the differences, isn't it, with those smaller businesses where, often through necessity, the owner and the founder are fronting things, but really. You know, consumers like to connect with a person. A hundred percent, exactly. Brand, thank you so much. This this has been a really interesting conversation. Let's uh, one one last thing um, we ask our guests to do. Um, if there was one tip that you could leave our listeners with that they could um, wake up in the morning tomorrow in action, what would that be? Put themselves on social media, which is like the least favorite thing heaps of business people want to do. But um, if you, it doesn't matter. W- well, it almost doesn't matter what type of company you run. But again, I go back to my point that people buy from people. So if you can put some kind of personnel, personality or person behind or in front of your brand, I think you will find it makes a difference to your engagement. And over time, that makes a difference to your brand and your brand loyalty. Fantastic. Brianne, thank you so much for coming on The Inside. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.